0: Welcome to Public Domain Video Theater presented by the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Well, today we're bringing you another episode of Dangerous Assignment. This one is The Manger Story, the original air date, fall of 1951, based on a radio episode from May the 10th. 10th of 1950. Let's go ahead and watch it and come back.
1: That's right, Steve. Well, this time I got the jump on you. How so? You always call me in here and send me halfway around the world on five minutes' notice. Well, this time I'm all packed. Where do I go? Uh, just down the hall. Oh, fine. Mitchell the mastermind. So I unpack.
2: Uh, better not,
1: yet. You, uh, start just down the hall. Where you end up
3: is anybody's
1: business. Hmm? Here. International lecture tours. <laughs> hey, look, my soapbox days are over.
3: Don't worry, you won't be making any speeches, but you'll be investigating a few people who do. Uh, this is an organization of uh, six European professors who lecture all around the world. So? So we have information, that one of them is picking up information from contacts here and taking it back to Europe
1: with them. Which one is it?
3: We don't know, but Dr. Gerber does.
1: Dr. Gerber? He's one of the professors listed here.
3: And he's waiting just down the hall to talk with you right now. Steve, a lot of vital information leaks out of the country this way. Talk to Dr. Gerber. Find out all you can from him. Then go anywhere and do anything you have to to smash the whole operation. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment. Good luck.
1: Sure, I've got my assignment. A real switch. Ten minutes after talking to the commissioner, I'm usually heading for the nearest airport, but here I am just walking down the hall. I've got a strong hunch, though, that the deal's going to involve a lot more than a friendly stroll. Mr. Mitchell, as your commissioner probably told you, I'm a member of international lecture tours. Yeah. Uh, I understand you have reason to believe that one of the other members of the organization is a foreign agent. I am sure of it. Moreover, I know who this person is. Well? I can only tell you that on one condition, Mr. Mitchell. Yeah. I must have protection. (laughs) That shouldn't be very hard to arrange. You're safe in this country. No, you do not understand. I am not speaking of protection for myself. Oh? Here. My wife died last year. This your boy? Yes, my son, Kirk, 10 years old. This is the only picture I have of him. It is safer that way. He's the one you want protection for? Yes. Where is he? At a boarding school in Stockholm, Sweden. I had to leave him there. He has no other relatives. The school is run by an Englishman, Horace Wakefield. Well, we could have some member of our consulate in Stockholm pick him up. No, that is no good. The boy is registered under his mother's name, Inskold, at the Wakefield school. No one must know his identity nor where he is until he is absolutely safe. I see. Well, in that case, I think I'll run over to Stockholm and pick up your son, Kirk, myself. That is what I had hoped you would say, Mr. Mitchell. And when you return, you will tell me who the head of the spy ring is? Yes. Fair enough. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Mitchell. All right. So, for a change, my assignment is simple. Just pick up a little boy in Stockholm and bring him back to the United States. I arrive late in the afternoon and go straight to the Wakefield School. Yes, Dr. Wakefield? That's correct. What may I do for you, sir? I'm Steve Mitchell from the United States. I'd like to talk with one of your students, Kurt Inscold. Kurt? Yes, I have a message for him from his father.
4: Come in, Mr. Mitchell. Thank you.
2: Sit down, please. Well, where's Kurt? Mr. Mitchell. Kurt has disappeared. What?
4: I can't find him anywhere. I'm worried sick. What happened? Well, last night a woman came to see Kurt. She said that she was his aunt.
1: His His aunt? Wait a minute. His father told me he had no other living relative. Yes, but how was I to know that? She said she was his
4: aunt and I had no reason to
1: doubt her. Okay, go
4: on. Well, I sent her to his room. I believe that she left after visiting hours were over. What do you mean you believe? You're not sure? Last night, I had a splitting headache. I turned in early. Sounds like a pretty careless way to run a
1: boarding school, Dr. Wakefield.
4: I resent that, Mr. Mitchell. I'm usually very careful about the rules and regulations, but last night, with this headache, I was was obliged to go to bed. Well, Skip it. Then you're not sure when this woman left? No. I'm not sure of anything except that Kurt wasn't here this morning. Oh, great. You told me you wanted to see me, Dr. Wakefield. Yes, come in, Ilsa. Ilsa, yeah. this is Mr. Mitchell. Hello, do, do? Hello, Ilsa. You know, of course, that your little friend Kurt has disappeared. Yes. Now, Ilse, I want you to tell me something. Did he ever speak to you of
1: running away?
5: No, Dr. Wakefield.
1: Ilsa, have you any idea what could have happened or where he might be?
5: No, sir. All right, Ilsa. That's not for now. Thank you, Dr. Wakefield. Bye, Mr.
2: Mitchell. Goodbye,
4: Elsa. Have you called the police yet? Oh, at first we thought it might be a boy's prank.
1: Wait a minute. What if he's been kidnapped? I think he's being held to ensure that someone will keep their mouth shut. That means he's safe for now until the kidnappers feel the pressure on them. No, doctor, I think this is something that's got to be done undercover. Don't report it yet. Wait till I see what I can find out. Very well. By the way, do you know of an outfit called International Lecture Tours? Yes. As a matter of
4: fact, I have an office right here in Stockholm. Brotensgarten 123, I believe.
1: 123. Thank you, Dr. Wakefield. I'll check with you later. Hi. What can I do for you? You in charge of this lecture outfit? Well, I'm the uh, leg man. <laughs> well, I guess you're the guy I want to talk to. My name is Mitchell. Saunders so, is mine. Always glad to meet anyone from the States. Thank Sit down. Take it. So, you're the leg man for this outfit. What does that involve? Well, you name it the works.
3: Shagging around the world in front of the wise men, scheduling lecture dates, making hotel reservations, making sure they
1: don't run out of toothpaste. <laughs> Sounds like quite a job.
3: I imagine there are easier ways of making a living.
1: How'd you get into
3: this racket? Well, I don't know. Sort of stumbled into it, I guess. I was stranded here in Sweden, broke. And I read about these professors organizing a lecture tour. Also heard that they needed a nursemaid. So here I am, Saunders the nursemaid.
1: You know, I'd like a little information about these professors. Looks pretty official.
3: What do you want to know? How well do you know them? Well, how well can you know those birds? They live in a world of their own, you know. Yeah. Where are they all now? Well, this will give you an idea of the setup at present. Over here. Uh, Stelter's in Calcutta. Uchex in Copenhagen. Laborde's in Toronto. Chumley's in Cape Town, South Africa. <laughs> you keep these guys pretty well spread out, don't you? Yeah. Uh, Gerber's in the United States. Yeah, I know. Uh, isn't there anybody right here? Oh, wait a minute. Friedrich. Sure, he's right here in, St- in uh, Stockholm. I'm expecting him any minute, as a matter of fact. He just phoned, uh, got a beef about something. He's
1: a regular fireball. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I'd kind of like to meet this, Friedrich. Well, stick around, he ought to be
3: Saunders. here.
6: Saunders! Saunders! He yes. is. Oh, hello, Dr. Frank. what kind of a booking agent oh, are you? Well, let's keep calm. For down. the last time, I yeah. tell you, I must have better hotel accommodations. This room you have assigned to me. It yeah, is drafty. The plumbing is no good. Yeah, well, uh, uh, no, Dr. And Pedro, this it's The room over mine, all night long. <laughs> long, clump, 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 while I'm trying to work on my lecture notes, yeah. all night long, clump, clump, clump. Yeah. How much of this can a man put up with? Well, that's a good question.
3: Yeah. Yeah, so uh, this is uh, Mr. Mitchell. He's uh, a newspaper correspondent.
6: Oh, please, no interviews. I am busy. Saunders, why do you schedule interviews when you know I am so busy? And furthermore, why do you schedule me to lecture in Stockholm when you know I want to be in the United States? I scheduled you for Stockholm because ever since you had that quarrel with Gerber, I've done my best to keep you two as far apart as possible. Oh, that Gerber. Even so, you should have given me first preference as to the location. Uh, You and Dr. Gerber don't get along so well? That man is impossible. Why, the theories in his lectures, they are absolutely unsound.
1: Look, I'm very sorry I brought the matter up. Are you sure there isn't any other reason for your feelings about Dr. Gerber?
6: Of course, I am sure isn't that enough? To have a man who who goes around lecturing, who undoes all of the good that I have done? Uh, One thing more. Would
1: you mind telling me where you were last night? I?
6: Last night? Well... I, I was in my hotel room, working on my lecture notes. But overhead, that clump, 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 how could the man work? That's funny. Hmm? I called you about a lecture date last night and
3: didn't get an answer.
6: Why? Oh, yes, I had forgotten. I, I, I stepped out for a little while. Was she nice? Oh, she was. No, see here, this is none of your business. Saunders? i leave you with two words. I do not like newspaper reporters. And I want you to get me better hotel accommodations.
3: Hmm. Well, now you've met
1: Dr. Friedrich. I sure have. Well, I'll check with you later, Saunders. Okay. Well. It looks like the deal's starting to take shape. Last night, a woman visited Kurt Gerber. This morning, he's gone. Friedrich doesn't like Kurt's father, and Friedrich was out with a woman last night. Yeah, on the surface, it all fits. But I've got an uneasy feeling the whole pattern could fall apart as fast as a smoke ring in a draft.
3: Hello. Hi, this is Saunders of International Lecture Tours.
1: Yeah?
3: Uh, I I got an item I thought might interest you. Not five minutes after you left the office, Dr. Butchek walked in.
1: Butchek? Wait a minute. Butchek's supposed to be in Copenhagen. That's right. So I asked, I'll come. What did the good doctor have to say? uh,
3: Something about wanting to cancel the rest of the tour. Tired or something like
1: that. I see. What time did the doctor arrive? Search me. You want the address? Yeah. 327 Ritter's gotten. 327 Ritters gotten. Thanks, Saunders. I think I'd better give Buchek the double check. <laughs> I'm Steve Mitchell, a newspaper man from the United States. I'd like to see Dr. Buchek.
7: You're looking at her? Well, you seem surprised.
1: I am. I thought Dr. Buchek was a man.
7: Sorry, I'm not. Thank you. Please, come in. Now, what can I do for you, Mr. Mitchell?
1: Dr. Buczak, I understand you cancelled the rest of your lectures and returned home suddenly.
7: Why, yes. (laughs) Lectures are so tiring. Sometimes I wonder why I ever started on the (laughs) second. When did you
1: arrive in Stockholm?
7: Well, my plane landed only this morning. Mr. Mitchell, you said you are a reporter.
1: You sure you didn't arrive last night?
7: Well, of course not. I just told you.
1: And you sure you didn't uh, take a trip out to Dr. Wakefield's school last night?
7: I've never heard of the place. See here, Mr. Mitchell. I'm quite sure that you're not a newspaper reporter. And I'm also quite sure that my activities are none of your business.
1: Let's just pretend that they are my business, Dr. Buchek.
7: Very well. In that case, why don't you just pretend that I'm telling you the truth about my arriving this morning?
1: I see. Well, thanks for the interview. I can check up on your time of arrival, you know.
7: Please do. When you're quite through checking up on me, why don't you pretend that you owe me an apology for your rudeness?
4: A word with you, my friend. Who are you? Permit me. I am Oscar. I want you to meet my friend, Olaf.
1: I don't see any... Hey, what's this all about? You made a mistake when you bothered the young lady. Dr. Buczek?
3: Now it will be necessary for the three of us to take a nice ride. A short ride, I suppose. For me and Olaf, yes. But for you, it will be such a long
4: ride that I doubt whether you will ever come back.
3: That's Hey, what happened to you? You look like you've been dragged through a knothole.
1: That's the understatement of the week, Saunders. Hey, look, have you got a picture of your beautiful Dr. Butchek around? Butchek?
3: Yeah. Oh, sure, I can let you have one of the publicity stills. we got give the newspapers.
1: There, that do? Yeah, that'll do fine. She made a big hit with you, huh? Yeah, a big hit. Somehow or other, I'm going to return the compliment.
4: Uh, Mitchell, I'm glad you came. Something has happened that you should know about. What is it, Dr. Wakefield? Well, you remember that woman that came here the night before last, posing as Kurt's aunt? Yes, the night Kurt disappeared. What about it? She returned to my school again this morning. What? Less than an hour ago. I was out of my office at the time, but my secretary told me that she was here, and she was inquiring about Kurt again. Wait a minute. That means
1: they don't have Kurt. Who do you mean by they? I think I know who one of them is. A woman. Here, take a look at that. Her name is Butchek. And what about her? Isn't that the woman that was inquiring about Kurt? I've never seen
4: this woman before in my life. You sure of that?
2: Yes.
1: Oh, great. My case blows up in my face. I still don't know where Kurt is. Hugo. Oh you're expecting Dr. Friedrich, I see.
4: Yes, we're old friends. He comes here for chess and tea.
6: I see. Is your move, I believe?
1: No, gentlemen. It's my move. I believe. help me? Yeah. How did you know?
5: I had been praying for help. I knew it would come. My father sent you?
1: Yeah. What happened, Kurt?
5: A lady came to see me at at school. She said she was a friend of my father's, but I knew she was lying. So I asked her to wait outside my room while I packed. And as soon as I was alone, I climbed out the window and ran away.
1: Must be getting tired of those sandwiches.
5: My girlfriend, Elsa, has been bringing them to me.
1: How did you happen to pick this deserted barn to hide in?
5: Oh, I knew it was the right place as soon as I saw this manger. Manger? Yes. I read about a little boy in the manger once.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess you couldn't have picked a better place. All right. Come on, Kurt. Wait a minute. Oh, great. Oscar and... Well, what do you know? I find out who my boy is in this deal when it's too late.
5: It is never too late. It
1: will be if I don't come up with an idea, quick. I'm your boy. It's funny what some guys will do for a buck, huh? You sent me chasing after that Dr. Butchek woman... so your two stooges had nowhere to pick me up. Incidentally, where's your other stooge? The woman that tried to get Kurt? Oh, she's waiting at my office until I take care of this little deal. How'd you happen to find
3: the barn? We managed to persuade little Ilsa to tell us. So now we've got Kurt. So? What happens? Well, the original scheme was to grab Kirk to keep Gerber from spilling about me. But now you've complicated things, so... Mr. Mitchell! Mr.
1: Mitchell! Come in, Wakefield. Elsa told me to come here. Here. Put him on ice. Is
5: it all over, Mr. Mitchell?
1: It will be as soon as they pick up Saunders' girl at the office.
5: I have been praying something with... Happened to deliver us. It happened.
1: Well, I sort of made it happen, Kurt. Did you? Oh.
5: I prayed for a bolt of lightning, Mr. Mitchell.
1: I <laughs> guess you could call that wire flash a bolt of lightning, but it was man made lightning, Kurt.
5: Was it? How did you happen to think of it?
1: Well, it just popped in my mind.
5: You see?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I see. I'm the last man in the world to argue the point too, Kurt. Come on. You're going home to your father.
0: illustrates some of the challenges of adapting a script from old time radio to early television in radio you can do anything in the golden age could use a few simple effects aid the listener's imagination and in some modern audio dramas you can use software to create luscious soundscapes that transport the listener or practically nothing. Shooting video, that's another challenge. In the radio version of this story, when Steve is kidnapped, he tries to resist and is rabbit punched. For some reason, Mr. Donlevy didn't feel like enacting this on camera. Another big change from the radio program is the sequence of events where the crooks take Steve for a ride. In the radio version, they knock him out, remove all of the safety equipment from the car that could allow him to brake or to steer, and that's why Steve has to jump out. Here, they don't get to do that as Steve gets away, but a shot hits one of the tires. And as any driver's manual will tell you, when you have a blowout, the appropriate thing to do is to jump out of your car. Though perhaps that's an even better idea in 1951, given the mighty explosion we witness after the car goes over. From what I gather from television of the era, cars back then were kind of made to explode. For some reason, there was a focus on making those explosions as impressive as possible. Which brings me to another difference with the radio version, where one of the hoods suggested they go down and check that Steve had survived. In the television version, with that explosion, I could not forgive the other crook for just responding with a look, if that was suggested. A final difference that stands out in the radio series Steve is able to tie up all the villains using narration. But in the television series, the headmaster comes along. And in accordance with the Bureau's handbook, Steve hands the gun off to the random civilian to guard the members of the spy ring. I'm sure that's in the manual. Of course, the other thing that will strike some listeners is who the villain turns out to be. villain is played by Hugh Beaumont, a.k.a. Ward Cleaver. Of course, he wouldn't start on Leave It to Beaver until 1957, and this was produced in 1951, during which time he was scraping by trying to make a living. He did a lot of B-movies. He actually starred as Michael Shane in five post-war movies, as well as playing the lead in a series of short films that adapted episodes of the Johnny Madero radio detective program. Given the character he became most famous for, as well as his general mild-mannered nature and his status as an ordained minister, he played a lot of hard-boiled characters, crooks, and police officers. But his overall mild appearance, I think can make it for an interesting reveal as to the villain, because this was not the guy you would have been uh, suspecting. That doesn't make it any less weird to see Ward Cleaver as a murderous crook. But I'm reminded of a recent uh, exchange with uh, William Shatner where Mr. Shatner had stated that he was not political and someone responded by pointing out that the character he played on Boston Legal, Denny Crane, was very political too. Which Mr. Shatner replied, it's acting, dear. Now, despite having the title The Manger Story, this was not really a Christmas episode, nor was the original radio broadcast, which went out in May. However, in December of 1952, the story was reworked slightly to make it into a Christmas story. Well, that will actually do it for today. Join us back here next time for another episode of Public Domain Video Theater. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook facebook.com.